Welcome to the One Love, One Faith podcast, where we use the love of Christ and faith in his word to navigate Christian living in the 21st century. Remember to follow us on all social media platforms at One Love underscore One Faith. Hey out there. It's Camille with the One Love, One Faith podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bienvenidos a todos. I have so much to share with you today that I'm just going to jump right in. Just one thing I want to share with you. Next week is going to be episode 150. What a milestone. Thank you for being a part of the journey thus far. And I promise that when you tune in next week, there's going to be something really exciting for you. Today, I want to talk about a story in John chapter 4. Before we get to chapter 4, let's go back a few chapters in order to track Jesus's movements. In John chapter 2, Jesus performs his first miracle of water to wine. He and his disciples then traveled to Jerusalem. Right before Passover, Jesus had gone to the temple in Jerusalem and, displeased with the buying and selling he saw there, he flipped over tables, scolded everyone there about turning his father's house into a marketplace. The Pharisees had not liked that because they challenged Jesus' authority to make any rules about the temple. They challenged him referring to God as his father. And it was this incident where Jesus also makes a statement about being able to rebuild the temple in three days if he wanted to. Now, the Pharisees completely misunderstood his comments here and were angered by what they thought he meant. Then in John chapter 3, we meet Nicodemus and Jesus travels from Jerusalem to Judea. He was preaching and spending time with the community there and he was baptizing people. But things heated up pretty quickly for Jesus in Judea because he had been baptizing more and more people and it had hit the airwaves. It was front page news. It was in the talk, in the streets and in the markets. It was a little too much heat for comfort so early on in his ministry. So Jesus knew it was time to return to Galilee. He knew that his dear old friends, the Pharisees, would not be very pleased to see how popular he was, to see how many people wanted to follow him, to know how many people he had converted and baptized. So Jesus makes the full circle, Galilee to Jerusalem, to the countryside of Judea, and then back to Galilee. On the way back to Galilee, Jesus travels through Samaria. And now we're in chapter four, where our story lives. Jesus and the Samaritan woman or Jesus and the woman at the well. The Bible's language here is very interesting to me because it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. It was a route to Galilee, but was it truly necessary? There was tension between Samaritans and Jews, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. But since there was tension, might a different route have been better? In fact, It was known that Jews would travel miles out of their way to avoid traveling through Samaria. So, could it be that the must-pass-through-Samaria, the had-to-go-this-way reason, was the woman at the well herself? The journey from Judea to this well in Galilee is 75 miles, so about a three-day walk for Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus was 
tired from walking, and we are told that he was alone by the time he reached the well, as the disciples had gone into the village for food. We are also told that it is noon. At this point in the story, I also often wonder, since Jesus was in human form, but still not separate from his divinity, did he know the woman was coming? Was she on his mind? Did he send the disciples away for food, knowing that he was going to have a momentous encounter at that moment and needed privacy? Just things I wonder. But here comes the woman coming to the well for water. It was something everyone had to do, a normal daily task. However, it was not something everyone did at this time. Remember that the Bible says it was noon. A lot of interpretations and commentaries shared that this was not the ideal time to collect water at the well. It was a strenuous task of walking there and back. And on the journey back, you would have had your heavy jar or jars of water, so the noon heat with the sun high in the sky was not ideal. It was a task mostly reserved for the morning, so it would be cooler and you'd have water in your home earlier in the day. Additionally, it would be a social occasion to see your neighbors. That's why some interpretations highlight that the woman at the well had to have a reason for being atypical in her routine. Maybe she made her journey at noon because of her circumstances. Perhaps she was an outcast. Shunned by her community, she wished to not travel the path to the well with everyone else or receive the stares and silence from the other woman at the well by going in the morning. There are other interpretations that challenge this notion that the woman was an outcast, that there is no proof of promiscuity, and that her community later following her back to the same well proves she was respectable. But no matter which side you take in that debate, we would have to agree on this. No matter if it was her normal routine to avoid others or not, she needed to be at that well on that day to meet this man. But let's prescribe to the notion that the woman was an outcast. After all, it was certainly frowned upon to have so many marriages and to live in the same home unwed. So when Jesus speaks to the woman, she is shocked for a few reasons. No one usually sees her. No one would usually risk their social standing by affiliating themselves with her in public. But we know that Jesus is always caring for outcasts, always seeing the invisible and mingling with the untouchables of society. The other reason she was shocked was because it was clear that Jesus was a Jew. And there is a long-standing tension between Jews and Samaritans. The tension stemmed from a few causes, and I'll challenge you to do further studying on your own here. But essentially, after a split in the country, Samaria became the capital of the north, while Jerusalem became the capital of the south. Samaritans also believed in certain practices and rites as descendants of Joseph. But Jews, having set themselves apart as God's chosen people, did not like that Samaritans had settled with foreigners and allowed idolatry into their culture. Samaritans were what the Jews considered diluted, only half-Jew. The Samaritans and Jews also argued about the place of the temple and where was the best place to worship. In the end, they had separate temples built, so for a Jewish man to speak to her, she was surprised. And not only did Jesus interact with her, but he asked her for water. 
From here, Jesus and the woman enter a very interesting conversation about water and living water. They also discuss the complex societal and political and spiritual division between Jews and Samaritans. But ultimately, Jesus offers her the living water after which she will never thirst again. And he proclaims himself as the giver of that living water and as the Messiah. During this conversation, the woman is mightily impressed by Jesus. Jesus does not shun her. He was a woman and he looked her in the eyes. He was a shunned woman and he gave her respect. He did not tell him about her life and the multiple marriages she had in the past or the fact that she was living with a boyfriend, but he already knew it. And after revealing that he knew her shames, she was even more impressed that he would still speak to her. She was impressed about how he would know such things. And then when she learned that he was the Messiah, she couldn't help herself. She had to bring others to meet him. While the disciples fussed with Jesus and advised him to pick better acquaintances, the Bible says she ran back to the village in the heat of the day, excitedly telling everyone that could it be she met the Messiah. People came because of her story. And Jesus stayed two days in Samaria because the people wanted to hear his message. The village now respected the woman at the well because she led them literally to the Messiah. Of course, in this story, we again see a prevalent narrative for women in the Bible where we don't know her name. We only know her by the title woman at the well or Samaritan woman who distinguish her story. This woman at the well is one of the first people to whom Jesus revealed himself as Messiah. She is one of the longest private conversations recorded in the Bible that Jesus has with one person. And yet, she's still just woman at the well. Interesting fact, the Eastern Orthodox Church has given this woman a name and saintship as well. They call her Fatini. And Miss Fatini, she really is an early evangelist. She met the Messiah and then was immediately impressed to tell everyone. It was the very first thing she wanted to do, share with others. Jesus had created so much joy and peace in her from their short encounter that she had no more shame and no more secrets, just excitement for others to come see. To come and see a man who changes everything whose presence alone brings comfort and peace, to come and see a man who truly sees you back, who knows your story before you even reveal it, to come and see a man offering living water, to come and meet the Messiah. Now, I know at this point you're wondering, Camille, you've spent a long time giving us all the background for the story, and then you simply rush through the part about Jesus offering the living water. We're following, but where exactly are you going? I know that the usual focus and praise report of this story is that Jesus offers us living water from which we will inherit eternal life, and that's still the focus. But I saw something new as I read the story this time, something different. In verse 28, there's one tiny detail that I never really noticed. Why would the Bible make it a point to include this small detail? The woman left her water jar beside the well. 
That's from my favorite version, the New Living Translation. But I promise it's not an ad lib. The King James Version says it too. The woman then left her water pot. John is the gospel teller who is always trying to show us that Jesus is the source of eternal life. So it's not surprising that he chose to tell a story about Jesus offering living water. In fact, he's the only gospel writer with this encounter as part of his story. But why was it so important to John to include the seemingly trivial detail? First, it has a storytelling function. It is an indication that the person telling the story saw her leave her jar behind. Also, it's confirmation that, as Jesus shared, regular water certainly has no comparison to the living water Jesus offers. Jesus had really proven that what he offered was more important and more powerful and more satisfying than regular water. So her water jar was not needed at that moment. The forgotten jar also shows that in her excitement to get back to the village, the jar was no longer important. It's a testament to how focused she was to share the news of her encounter. It shows that she left all behind to do something more important, share the gospel. The disciples had done the same, abandoned their fishing nets and ships. She abandoned her jar. I also thought about all of the things that jar could symbolize. Could it be used as a metaphor for the trips we make to other wells seeking fulfillment? What are those jars that we carry around with us, that we carry to the wells in our lives expecting to collect value? And when will we finally abandon them? When will we surrender the futile attempts, leave the jar with Jesus, and instead collect his living water? And finally, will we leave the jar or jars behind to tell a dying world about our Messiah? So, today's message is to leave your jar behind. Are you holding on to something, carrying a burden, searching for living water? Leave your jar behind. Bring your jar to the Messiah, and just like the woman at the well, I promise you'll have an unforgettable encounter with Jesus. So much so that whatever jar you're carrying, the jar of shame or fear or depression, loneliness, unfulfillment, temptation, grief, doubt, pain, unbelief, or searching for purpose, will be forgotten and replaced. When having been filled with living water, you can leave your jar behind. So this week, One Love Nation, I challenge you to identify the jars in your life, and I hope you'll find the time to meet Jesus at the well of living water and leave your jar behind. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you, Lord, for not being phased by our deepest, darkest shame. It doesn't affect how you feel about us. It does not affect your desire to save us. It does not stop your interactions with us. We pray for the strength, Lord, to leave our jars behind and be so filled by your living water that we share the overflow with others. Thank you for being the living water and offering a path to eternal life. We love you. Amen.
One Love Nation, thank you for listening. Gracias por escuchar. We'll be here next week, same time, same place, with a special 150th episode edition. We love you. Te amamos. Peace. Hey, One Love Nation. Thanks for listening to the One Love, One Faith podcast. We love our listeners and we hope you will join us again next week. Please share the One Love, One Faith podcast and always remember that each day is an opportunity to show his love and grow your faith.